Hi, everybody. You're listening to In Our 60s, created and hosted and produced by me, Marcy Nicholas. This show is for those of us who are navigating the decade of our 60s with all its particular challenges and possibilities. Person with me today is a junior high classmate, Joan, and thanks for being with me today, Joan. Joan, I have in my hand a photograph of our junior high school volleyball team. And oh, that's wonderful. In the front row is Annette, Elaine, Sally, Cindy, and Kathy. And in the back row is me, you, Maureen, Donna, Carla, and Stacy. Yes. Uh, I have the picture, but honestly, I have no memory of playing volleyball. <laughs> that's so strange because I don't have a memory of playing either. I mean, I remember the picture and I. I remember the f- like the fun we had, but I don't remember actually playing other teams in the school. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> it is. I mean, was our do you remember was our coach was it Mrs. Brader? Was she our volleyball coach? I don't know. I don't even know who the coach was. And I just happened to be looking at my yearbook that Elaine had given me where people signed it and you signed it too. I have your sign signing here, but um, I was looking at it because I'm sorry. I forgot what I was going to say, Marcy. So maybe you were just looking at it to see if any of those names popped up uh, that I just mentioned. Right. Because we had Mrs. Brader and Miss Jack, Mrs. Jackson. What memories do you have of junior high? If any, Joan, I have, <laughs> let me tell you, I have very few memories. I don't know if you have like a few snapshots of of some experiences in junior high or not. Well, I remember I went to East York Elementary. So then you're in the sixth grade. You're like the seniors of the elementary school. And then you go into junior high and you're in a homeroom and you and I were in the same homeroom. And we just traveled around together, right, to all the classes. So we were, you and I were both in seven Jackson and then eight Brader, and they were the English teachers. But we traveled around together. So you didn't see any of the other kids um, unless we had lunch or an assembly or something like that, or maybe at the library or something, or recess. We kind of had, we did have recess, I think. I remember playing tetherball at recess. But, oh, that's um, right. The whole thing was you're meeting new friends. I mean, you you have your old friends from elementary, and you see them every once in a while. Maybe some of them are in your homeroom class. You're you're also meeting new friends. So that's how I met you. Because I didn't know you in elementary, we went to different elementary schools. So that's right. I, I met, um, I got to know you and Maureen and Elaine, Annette, and Donna. I knew from elementary, but I remember that group of us kind of hung around together. And I was looking at the yearbook because I thought that would spark some memories. We had some kind of uh, gang. Elaine and Maureen, they said, don't forget MUDS, M-U-D-S. And it was some kind of a pretend gang, like we called ourselves MUDS, you know. Do you remember that? No, I have no memory of that. (laughs) And and Joan, now that you remind me that we were in homeroom together, 
for two years. I have some sense of that because I do remember Mrs. Brader, mm-hmm. but I have I like- no memory of Mrs. Jackson. Well, Mrs. Jackson had blonde hair. She was very hip looking and she loved um, James Taylor. If you remember the wow. song, you've got a friend. Do you remember us studying? His oh, absolutely. I absolutely. Okay. No, I don't. But I oh, absolutely re- remember the song. And we did that in English class. We studied his lyrics. You've got a friend. Wow. <laughs> is this bringing back any memories? Nothing. Um, it is nothing. I, oh, nothing at okay. all. I do. I do remember Mrs. Mrs. Brader had yeah. a, had must have had some kind of impact on me because I certainly do remember her. But um, I do too. I, I, I think they both um, encouraged me to major in English in college, and I always thought I would be a teacher, an English teacher, because that's what I liked English. But I never sure. did get. I never did teach English. So, um, but yes, I loved Mrs. Brader too. I remember she yeah. had. She had. She stood up very straight and tall, and you know she would take these big steps, and her heels would click on the floor. And you know, of course, she'd wear the sweaters over her shoulders. And I don't know. I just really liked her because I liked the subject. Um, yes, and she and these women that we had as teachers were were so professional for me anyway they were as i as i mentioned in another episode of the podcast that they were probably the first professional women that some of us came in contact with you had female teachers in elementary probably though yes um, but we i were, had one male yeah. teacher one male teacher but mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. elementary school all my except for that one male teacher my elementary school teachers were were women and do you remember we had intramurals not only in volleyball but in track and field i was on the uh, relay race 440 relay where you press the baton with Carla, Stacy, and Sally. And I was the slowest runner. So, so I was the third one, you know, but I felt so honored. Oh, like, Oh, wow. And 50 yard dash and things like that. We would do up in the uh, place where the track was up on the hill behind the junior high. So that was sometime in the spring. I don't know. Um, Right. And you have a lot of memories of of junior high. I I do. I think because I don't know if it's just the kind of person I am, but York was very special to me and it was so hard to move away. I had lived there from uh, kindergarten to November of ninth grade. So essentially I grew up there. My friends were really special to me and I had so much fun and it was very so, difficult to move away. Um, yeah, let's let's talk about that because I didn't know exactly when you moved away. I thought it was maybe like right after junior high, but after I read read your, your bio, you moved in the fall of ninth grade. And, and so talk about that move, why you moved, how that all unfolded. And what were some of the effects of that move on you? Well, I was able to be in field hockey, which was pretty special. I could, I was there for the full season of field hockey for ninth grade. That was fun. Then after that, then we had to move. But um, Dad Langenhop got a new job. He had been working for AMF in Connecticut, 
and in uh, Pennsylvania. So they were laying people off and for a while he went to Washington DC to work. But I think he knew a couple men from York somehow from AMF that had moved out to Indiana and they were working for an RV company, recreational vehicle company. So that's where we went. That's why we went there is he got this new job in Elkhart, Indiana. So um, I was going to tell you, it was, it was so hard to leave. It was, it was like an absolute shock. And I don't know if you remember, but you and I and Maureen, Annette, Elaine, Donna probably uh, went to a football game at, at the senior high and had a great time. And we came home, somebody dropped me off, came to my house up on Cambridge Road in Haines Acres, and it was all dark in my house. It's like, what's going on. And my brother and mom and dad were in the back porch, real silent, you know, and in the dark. You know, it's like, what's going on? And then that's when he told me we're going to have to move. It was right after that fun time, you know. And so wow. it was it was so hard. We had um, some family in York. My sister had already gotten married. She was in she was in Elizabethville, north of Harrisburg, still is. And my brother had started college in California, Pennsylvania, California State College in Pennsylvania. So um, it was going to be me and grandma, our dog, and, and mom and dad moving to Indiana. But it was so hard, and I didn't want to. And the nice thing is that I had three going away parties. I mean, I just... I, I was in total shock, you know, it was total surprise. Three going away parties, um, one you went to at Maureen's house and then Carrie and then one in French class, I think it was. But I just felt so loved, you know, and positive. It was, it was a wonderful thing because people wanted to write to me and, you know, they gave me gifts, stationery and hockey field hockey ball that everybody signed you know but yeah so that that just helped a lot with the move and when I moved there it was it was a culture shock it was a big school it was just really did, how different long, how long how, how long did it take you to fit in there well I guess not very long because right away um I made friends, you know, in different classes. I never had to eat lunch by myself. I mean, I I made friends, and then I joined joined basketball. So I joined sport. It's a great way to meet other kids, you know, because that team is your instant friends, you know. So sure. I played basketball in ninth grade and played tennis. But one thing that was really different was the the people are more laid back in Indiana. I don't know how to describe it, but. They're just more laid back, which is a which has has advantages and disadvantages. One of the disadvantages is the teachers were were like your friends. You know, they're they're just so accepting and loving. And so, problem is that Indiana is pretty low on the national ranking for education with high schools. Now, Purdue, where where I graduated and my husband graduated. That's like an island, you know, very difficult, very difficult academically. And the surrounding areas, for the most part, I'm sure there are um, different communities near Indianapolis or other communities that might be different. But I didn't really have to try so hard in school, which is not good for a teenager. (laughs) I mean, 
you know, it, it seemed like um, York Suburban was almost like a junior college. I mean, it, the education is so good there. It's not that it was horrible at Concord High School in Elkhart, but I just didn't have to try as much and I would get A's, mm-hmm. you know. So So um, then when you went so then when you went to Purdue, was it <laughs> was it a big <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you're you're laughing already. Was it a obviously yeah. it sounds like it was a big shock. It was. It was. I can't I can't just go home after class, throw my books on the shelf and go out to play, you know, it's, oh, oh my goodness. You know, I realized about halfway through the first semester of Purdue, I mean, I'm taking the general ed classes, you know, but sure. it's like, oh my goodness, wow, I have to really study. And so I talked to this senior girl at the, in the dorm and she helped me with how to study, which was kind of sad. My husband grew up in Indiana too. I mean... He grew up in Indiana, and he, it was hard for him. He was always a good student, and it was hard for him when he went to Purdue. Too. Sure, right. So that's where the two of you met. Um, mm-hmm. But but let me let me ask it. So how did you? Because um, you know this is something we have in common. I I was an English major, and you know went to graduate school. How did you? How did you decide to be an English major? Well, I would say I've always loved it. I've always loved reading reading and language arts and all through elementary, you know, vocabulary, everything we had to do. And then I loved Mrs. Brader and Mrs. Jackson. It was just something I was good at. I'm, I'm not a math person. My husband's a math person. And it was something I always enjoyed and was good at. And so I thought, well, that's what I'll major in. So that was my goal. But um, I did not get a teaching degree. I have an English degree. And Me too. What, I pro- what I probably should have done in the ideal world, you know, I, I could have kept on going to Purdue and, and gotten my grad graduate degree and taught at the college level. But I think I just, I was so self-conscious and just had issues and really didn't care enough <laughs> about <laughs> high school people, you know, to, to teach. And also I was, I've always been uh, not comfortable with speaking to groups. It's just, my husband's very comfortable with that. But I don't like I don't like that as much. I'm more of an introvert, I guess. But so I didn't go into teaching, but I did secretarial work for a while and different jobs, proofreading. I proofread a book um, that a veterinarian at Purdue wrote on small animal practice. So he wanted me to proofread the whole book and then and then he sent it to the editor. And proofread things like um, theses for someone getting their master's Mm -hmm. and those kind of things I would do. So then I decided that, um, and we decided, I just was going to be home once I started having kids. I I wanted Mm -hmm. to be home. And and how many children do you have? Three. Yeah. Daniel is the oldest and then Ruthie and Esther. Daniel and Ruthie are married and they have two children, Daniel Daniel and his wife and family live in Denver. Ruthie and her husband and two boys live in Indiana. And Esther is in Jacksonville, Florida. And guess guess what her occupation is? She's a high well, school English I, teacher. <laughs> right. Right. She took on the role. She has much she has much more courage um 
and bravery in that area and has done really well. She's a reading coach. She helps other teachers. And so she's been doing that since she graduated from college. So I'm and, proud and what's of her. that what's that like to have your children in these different places? Your son in in Colorado, your daughter in Florida, and then your other daughter lives near you or or close to you. We're in Illinois and we're Oh, Illinois. In, Yeah, that's where we live. So we live in North Central Illinois. Ruthie lives in Warsaw, Indiana. And so that's about four hours away. So she's the closest. Mm -hmm. And we naturally see her more often. So that's, it's been really nice. Um, But it is hard. But I would say, you know, with with FaceTime and with visits, it's not as much as we would like, but yet the quality time is there. Like, okay, we don't see each other very often, so we're going to make this really special. So the boys have stayed at our house many times um, for several nights, you know, and we give we give Ruthie and Josh a break, and and they stay here, and we have a lot of fun. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard, but but yet at the same time we can communicate with the new technology. And, so you've uh, made it work. Um, yeah, we've made it work. So and let's, we go to Colorado. We we go to Colorado every year for vacation, and so that's when we see them, uh, my son and his family. So that's a normal thing. But usually, it's just once a year with them, maybe twice. And then my my youngest daughter, um, not quite once a year. Well, yeah, she's come here. Yeah, she'll come here for Christmas sometimes. And then with my daughter, it's it's more regular. Yeah. So. Let, let's move on a, a little bit. So when you turned 60, did you do anything special for your birthday? I mean, do you remember thinking about turning 60 or was it just an, another day? How did you cross the threshold, in other words? Well, nothing really stands out. Um, it was like an, a, another birthday. Um, my husband's two years older than I am. Things didn't really start happening until I two years ago. So when I was 62, then I started getting a lot of health issues. Yeah, I, nothing really stands out about that. I would say when we moved here to Peru, Illinois, we were in our 50s, early 50s. So we had a lot more energy. We we did a lot of things to fix up this house we live in. It's over 100 years old. And we took off wallpaper, you know, and redid the walls and did a lot of things. But we uh, we couldn't do that now. I don't think. I don't think we have the energy. So that's changed. And, and did you? And did you move there because of his work? Is yes, yes. He was. Um, he's been an engineer, and this is this is why we came. He was looking for another job, looking for at least three years, and um, we came here because he was offered a job, and it's been the best job ever. And we've been able to catch up financially on things and it takes care of us. We have really good insurance and it's it's been great. So I want to return to something you said about sort of the differences between, as you said, mo- moving in your 50s and fixing up the house, but that would be much more difficult now. What what has been challenging for you for moving moving into your 60s? The most challenging thing has been these health issues. In fact, I just found out this week that I have a nodule growing on my parathyroid gland. 
I didn't even know we had parathyroid glands. I mean, right. I knew I had a thyroid. And I've, sure. always, I've always been on thyroid medication all my life since I was 13. I had kidney issues a year ago where I was diagnosed with stage three kidney disease. And that's all cleared up now. It's okay now. My tests are fine. But because of I because of um, really bad pain in my left knee, I had asked the doctor if I could be on some kind of medication to help that. And so he said, well, we can try meloxicam. Okay, so I was on that for a year. I already had had high blood pressure problems. And so the meloxicam, I guess, made my blood pressure really shoot up. And then my kidneys were affected. And so I went, when I went to the nephrologist, he said, watch your salt like a hawk, take your blood pressure twice a day, get off the meloxicam because that's causing a problem. So I completely changed. This is a, a good thing. We completely changed how we eat and how I cook. It worked for us, but we are no longer on any blood pressure medicine. Both of us were. So we, our blood pressure got so low that we had to wean ourselves off of the blood pressure medication. But because I went to that nephrologist, he did further blood tests and found that my parathyroid levels were high. I didn't do anything about it at the time because I had just, I just had a knee replacement a year ago. So that's been something I've been recovering with. But anyway, found out about that. And so I had more tests done, went to the endocrinologist and the only the only uh, cure for hyperparathyroidism is surgery to in your neck to remove that growth or any other growth they might find. So, what does what does the parathyroid do? Have you have you learned mm-hmm. about what it does? <laughs> yes, the parathyroid regulates calcium in your body. So, if there's a growth. And my growth is probably the size of a raisin. But these parathyroid glands are only like the size of a piece of rice. And so a growth, usually it's benign. If a growth is there, then it kind of messes up that whole thing. And so it starts like attacking your bones. And that's, and I do, I did find out I have osteoporosis in my hip. Now, it's, I don't think it's a major, major thing. It's We got it early, but it, it um, regulates the calcium. And so if you have too much calcium in your body, that's a problem. So do so you growth, have to have... Yeah, the growth messes all that up so that it starts taking the calcium out of your bones and, and then it's flushed out of the body, oh, which I you see. don't want to have. Yeah, it's, yeah, I've done a lot of research on it. So do you do you have to have surgery for this nodule? Yes, I do. Yes, so surgery is is the answer. It's, it's the only cure for it. So, so yeah. So, so surgery. <laughs> it, right. And, right. And then after you have surgery, will you have to be on some kind of medication? No. And my thyroid is absolutely fine. I am on medication for that since I was 13. So no, I don't. There's no medication because they they say it's pretty fast. Your your body starts healing right away. The symptoms, and you know, you try not to look for the symptoms, and but it's true. I'm more uh, cloudy in my mind, and I get nauseous about every day. <laughs> so I'm oh. like, that's why I said when you 
said, how are you? I said, well, okay, you know, I'm fine, but I'm, I'm hoping to get this issue resolved really soon. Okay. Yes. We hope so too. Thank you. Um, so how, how has this affected your, well, you, you mentioned you've changed your diet. Mm, Is there mm-hmm. anything, any other, how, how has this affected other aspects of your life in, in any way, if, if it has? Well, I, it's affected my life because um, I think I'm more tired than I used to be. And my husband has uh, chronic fatigue. He's had it for years and years. He's had tests, allergy tests, everything. We've cha- we've gone to Whole Foods to try to fight, figure it out. He runs. He's a runner. He's been running ever since high school. So we both have always exercised. Um, but yeah, I changed. I changed so that we have low sodium. And really careful about that. We still, every once in a while, we'll go out to eat or have something sure. different. That's okay. Uh, but in <laughs> general, it's helped us quite a bit, quite a bit. And it's really nice not having to take so many pills. It's good to get off of that. And it's just been one thing after another. I actually, I mean, like I said, the past two years, the knee replacement and then all this other stuff I already told you. And then I had a skin cancer on my eyelid of all places. And it's not the kind of cancer that spreads. It's a, it's the kind that grows right where it is, but you better take care of it. Or it could be really complicated to remove and grow bigger by the eye and everything. Well, did, so I had and that was removed. that removed? Was, <laughs> yeah, was that was removed? removed? Yeah, it was. <laughs> and you can't even tell. It was such a, such a surprise. And that's why you say, I feel like I've been bombarded with this stuff all of a sudden um, the past two years. So that worked out okay. They did, they slice it to make sure they get the roots and the plastic surgeon sewed me back up and you can't even tell I had, I had that done. Moral of the lesson is uh, get your, get your bumps checked out. (laughs) Get your, get your odd growths checked out because it might be something. I like that phrase, <laughs> odd growths. So yeah, what has been a positive thing that has has happened to you since you've entered this decade? Yeah, the positive thing is that um, I, I always knew that Dad Langenhop was not my biological father. Okay, and, let's stop. Let's stop right there because okay. because the people people who listen to this might be might be surprised to hear that. I, I'm sure they would. I'm sure they would. Like I said, it, it was too it was too much of a burden to put on a child to keep a secret like that because my mom would would take me with her to meet him. Okay, so we we were from New York City. And then we moved to Connecticut, and, and Greenwich is only an hour from Queens where we lived. So, so it happened all during that time. I mean, this is a it was a long relationship that she had, okay, with my fa- my real father. We moved away to York. Yeah. So, I think you know back then things just weren't talked about, you know. And so today would be absolutely. Different. Right. And so back mm-hmm. then, you don't talk about that. It's very shameful. So I was the youngest. I have a brother and sister who graduated from suburban. I can't remember what your question was exactly. Um, well, but- you were talking about 
that you knew that your father, that dad Langenhop was not your biological father. So that caused a lot of confusion and there was a lot of problems in my family. What many families have problems. Okay. So we're not unique in that, but my mom didn't explain fully everything until I was 18. And I would ask her questions before because I had memories of this man. When he, little kids are smart. <laughs> little kids are really <laughs> smart. Um, and but she would not not tell me the truth, you know. So that that made moving hard too because I didn't have a good relationship with Dad Langenhop. He suspected that I was not his child, but you just pretend and you just go on with life, you know. And so that made moving harder. Uh, I think I really, you know, I would think about it and nobody knew about it. Finally, it came out from, from other circumstances. It came out in the family. And so, but it wasn't really resolved. In other words, my brother mm -hmm. and sister, no, you know, learned and that, but it wasn't really resolved. But anyway, it turns out my mom always said that my real father, she would tell me about him, you know, once we talked about, she would tell me all about him. I'd ask lots of questions, lots of questions. And she said he was Puerto Rican. I always knew that. I shouldn't say I always knew that, but I knew that for years. I thought, well, why not? After my, after my folks passed away, I thought, I'm going to check on Ancestry.com and get my DNA test done just to, just to see, you know? And so actually... Um, on my real father's side, I'm basically half Portuguese and half Spanish, a little bit of indigenous Puerto Rico. And then mm -hmm. on my mother's side, Scottish and German. I always knew that. That was, that was cool to find that out. And, and then it made me research even more. And I was doing research and I found this site that wasn't American, but it had um, I knew I knew my real father was interred at Fresh Pond Cemetery in Ma in uh, Middle of Village, New York. The second old second oldest uh, oldest crematory in the world, I guess. A huge, beautiful building there, and so I knew he was interred there. So I knew, of course, his name, Frank Galarza, and his birth date and the day he died. So with that information, somehow I got this number that was a cremation number. And then I uh, went to Fresh Pond Cemetery and they said, if you send us $35, we will do, we will get everything we have on your loved one. You know, we will we'll give you everything that we have, all the paperwork. So I did that. And so I, I got this research that they had done, copies of things like death certificate and, and, where he was born and, and all these things. I learned a lot of other things through Ancestry.com and just my own research. And my daughter-in-law helped me too. And I even have his senior picture. I mean, it's just, it's just <laughs> wonderful. I've got his, I've got the act, not his yearbook, but the 1949 yearbook, his high school yearbook. I also have my mom's too, but so interestingly, he was in, there's a picture of him in the orchestra. There's a picture of him in soccer, his senior picture. And I've always loved to dance. And he was, 
He was voted the best dancer in the school. I mean, it's just so fun to learn about my real father that I feel like everything is sort of uh, completed and and, um, the circle is completed, you know, and so that that was a really good thing that I did in my 60s, learning about that. And, you know, the kids are excited about it. I mean, they, they like it and they're part Spanish and Portuguese, you know, and uh, anyway, it's it's fun. Yeah, so, it has so a, all has a good ending. All has a good ending, and it's not a unique situation, I'm sure, but it was great to really get facts about it. And grandparent, my grandparents, and they were all born in Puerto Rico, great-grandparents, even the town. I mean, I have all this information, their names, their dates date of birth and death. And, and I realized I had a grandfather living that I didn't know about till 2002. So it's kind of sad, but at the same time, uh, it's, it's really good for me mentally. To- were you, were you able to connect with any, any descendants of, of your, your biological father? Or did you no. decide not to not to pursue that? Yeah, I decided not to pursue that. I he had a, he was married and had children of his own, and we were actually neighbors in Massbeth. My brother and sister would play with his kids. I mean, <laughs> they were neighbors. Um, so I don't know that they know anything about. I wouldn't want to put that on them and just mess things up. They may not. Even though, and the thing is about my real father, he died right after we moved to York. My mom told me he died then. He died at age 33. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, I certainly do not want to um, do that to try to connect or anything because I just don't think that would be a good thing to do. But yeah. still, it's your, it's yours, right? You you have this this information and it closed the circle for you. It did. It did. And uh, I guess another subject, um, as far as my uh, career, I know that was one of your questions. What, what did, mm-hmm. what have I been doing? He said, um, I, I just did a lot of part-time jobs, different part-time jobs. I wanted to mm-hmm. be with my kids that was really important to me. Like, I don't think I could have done both at work full time, have a career and deal with my kids myself, because it's like, I can only concentrate on one big thing at a time. You know, I just, I don't, I don't. Most people can only concentrate. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think most people can only concentrate on one big thing at a time. And so I would do little odd jobs here and there. And then now I work um, doing transcriptions and editing for casting words. And I work on Mechanical Turk, um, which is a crowdsourcing workplace that Amazon owns. Have you ever heard of Mechanical Turk? No, I, after your bio, I did, I did look it up. I will tell you that after reading your bio, I, I did a little, did my own research. So, so if anything with an English degree, Joan, we know how to do research, right? Um, (laughs) That's right. That's right. And so, um, and I feel like, I I feel like I'm using my degree, I guess you could say uh, through the years, different, different things. It was really important for me to teach the teach my kids how to read and so because I feel like reading 
if you have a good foundation with reading, then you do well in other subjects in school. And absolutely, so this now I've been doing since 2008 with the trans mm-hmm. transcribing, and it just fits perfectly with my life. And and um, you do this from home, obviously. You do this, yes. You you transcribe the po- podcast from home, um, podcast and- lectures, um, conferences. Anything it could be, it could be a son interviewing his dad about the family history. I mean, anything you could do it yourself. If you wanted something transcribed, you can give it to Casting Words, and then your work is ranked in, and graded. And so, the higher your grade, then you're eligible for higher paying <clears throat> transcriptions. So, it's worked out beautifully for us because no matter where we lived. I could do that. And it's just a part-time thing. You know, it helps with vacations or whatever. Um, I, will, I enjoy it quite a bit. So, What, what do you think are your, your next steps uh, regarding your 60s? I mean, is, is retirement on the horizon for you or your husband? Um, is, is moving on the horizon for you and your husband? I mean, a lot of us talk about, you know, for instance, can we, can we stay in, in the house where we're living? What have you all, what have you and your husband or just you uh, been thinking about regarding these, these next, these next steps? Well, Don wants to keep working until he's 70 at least. So he's not thinking, he says he doesn't want to ever retire. <laughs> so um, financially, we we do need for him to keep working, but he's he gets really tired. But and he has very big responsibilities. For instance, a a waste treatment plant might cost a town twenty five million dollars. Okay, well, little towns don't have that kind of money, so he helps them with grants so that they can be able to improve their waste treatment or wastewater system. He loves his job. He absolutely loves it. So it has helped us financially so much because we struggled a lot financially over the years, just different jobs and moved, moved several times. But even though we did struggle, it's like I was, I did everything I could just to stay home and, and be involved with the kids' activities, um, do and, and volunteer at school and volunteer with piano. I taught my kids how to play piano, and it was important for me to, to be home, but I would always work part-time at different odd jobs. So my I f- figure I can do my work any in the future. I don't really have to retire from this job. Now, I don't work as much as I used to because – I'm getting older and I don't have the stamina <laughs> like I used to. But right. I'm I'm I, I'm I, in the same place, Joan. Don't don't feel like uh, <laughs> when I come home from a day of teaching, I mean my husband and I often talk about this. I I'm I mean I used to be able to grade papers for hours in the evenings mm, and now mm-hmm. I can't do that. My stamina for grading a set of papers is not as it was even 
you know, even 10 years ago. Do you take more naps now than you ever did? I don't you know, know if I, I don't know if I, that's a, that's a good question. I don't know if I take more naps sometimes around two and four, I get pretty sleepy. Me too. <laughs> and, Me too. Yeah. And, and might, might lie down for a little bit. I'm much more tired in the evenings than I oh, used to be. I feel like a different person in the evenings. You know, we, we both talk about it. I mean, if I want something want to get something done important, it's got to be in the morning. Uh, and then in the afternoon, I start getting dull. And then in the evening, I'm done. Yes. <laughs> I'm done in the evening. Anyway, my as far as retiring, that's not mm-hmm. going to be on our plate right now. Um, he's going to work as long as he can. And then he figures he can work part-time. Because first of all, he... He can't imagine not working. He loves to work. And so he doesn't want to. I mean, maybe physically you might have to stop. I don't don't know. But he just has always been that way. He's not going to retire as far as like, okay, now we're going to be doing nothing. You know, he'll just keep on working as long as he can. And and what about... What about the house situation? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well... You know, um, we hope to live here until we die. May, that may not be possible. It is kind of scary to to look ahead, and especially with my experience the past two years, you don't know what's going to happen. So physically, I mean, and uh, you might get sick and think people have a lot worse things than I do. In fact, I... I really uh, admire the seniors at the YMCA where I go swimming. I go in the morning, so it's mostly seniors, age 50 and up, and I admire these people so much. I mean, there'll be people in their 90s, you know, with the walker, just struggling, walking into the Y. You know, there's this one old man, he's very bent over, but he's always there. You know, since I go regularly, I see these people and they're going regularly to the Y. And no matter what shape or size you're in, it doesn't matter. You just do it. You don't think about, do I want to do it? Do I feel like going? No, you just you just go. You just go. And then it's got a benefit in some way. We hope to live here in this house. And I don't know where we would go otherwise. I mean, there is a retirement village in town. But you're yeah, not, just, you're not necessarily looking and, and you're not necessarily looking to move totally from the area, like to live closer no. to one of your children or. No, we're not planning anything definite. I think we really like Peru. We like this area. It's called the Illinois Valley. It's not it's all uh, rural around it, you know, flat farmland. But this area by Illinois, by the Illinois River is hilly and it has, there are three state parks around here and they have waterfalls and gorges and hiking and it's just beautiful. It's really different from the rest of the, of the state. And we like the town. We got good doctor, you know, I, I don't know. I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. Well, now we're going to move to some other state. Colorado, we love going. We love going there every year, but it's very expensive to live there. I don't, and 
we might have to, but I guess we'll just have to see if, you know, where we would go. My, my daughter, my middle daughter that lives in Indiana, she's very shortly going to get her re registered nurse's degree. She said one time, um, I'm going to take care of you guys when, when you get old, you know? <laughs> so that's a nice thing here, but I just can't even imagine not having our independence, you know? And I mean, that might be far away. I guess you might face that too. It's like, well, who's going to take care of me if I need that? And where are we going to live? And can we manage a house or do we need to live in a small apartment or retirement village? I don't know. Well, for it's the a big time question being, mark. <laughs> yes. Okay. So but, for the but, time being, you're, you're settled in where you are, you know, yes, it sounds are. like, you know, Don has a career and a position that he loves and that, that in other words, it's both uh, work that he can do and he loves his work, which is not the norm, right? A lot of people don't have the two going together, that work that you're both mm -hmm. interested in and that you love. You're in a house that right now that you like and that you can manage. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You have some work that you can do from home. So, mm -hmm. so it sounds like, and, and you've made these discoveries about your family. So it sounds like right now you've, you've settled in to, to where, you know, to this, to this area and this, this community. Yes, we have. And, well, Joan, um, I just want to say it's, it's been great being in conversation with you um, this morning. And, and I just really appreciate that you took the time out of your schedule to do this with me. And, well, thank you, and for, thank you for asking. And uh, I hope it's helpful and goes along with your goals for the show. And oh. I hope I didn't talk too much. No, do you mind no, if, that's... You're, do you mind, you're the, do you you're mind if guest. I share with you? I can share with you your short signing in my yearbook you say dear joan below is your team field hockey picture i'm sure you had as much fun as we did in volleyball i hope you don't ever forget the great feeling of winning of happiness and sorrow it takes to be on a team marcy n do you remember writing that i do not <laughs> that, hey let me let me say that's pretty good that's I think it's good advice. I, right. I, I think it's really good advice. It's 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 a serious note. And I can't believe I wrote that. That sounds oh, it's, so, it's so it's so cool though. It's it's very serious and yes, it and is. good advice. <laughs> oh, it was wow. so nice because it was so nice that Elaine. Uh, had people sign this yearbook. I mean, I, I, it meant so much to me, you know, oh, so. How special. Yeah, I, I, always, I always think York is my hometown. And, you um, know, that is a question I wanted to ask. If, if you do think about York as your hometown, I, I, I actually. Do. I do. You know. I mean, Elkhart, Indiana, um, I made friends there. If you think about it, I only lived there not even three years. And then I went to college at Purdue. So that's in West Lafayette, Indiana. So I didn't live there very long. 
Um, True. And then, I, and then I went to college and then I actually stayed there in West Lafayette and in Lafayette. But our whole family spread out all over Washington State, South Carolina. I mean, you know, the kids' cousins yes, are all over the place. And for for many for many families, that's it's the story. They spend a lot of time traveling mm-hmm. to see one another, and then and then mm-hmm. certainly you have these when parents or grandparents or family members age, then you have mm-hmm. this whole sort of set of choices and and issues that that you have to face. So, Joan, thanks for sharing your story and thanks for being with us. And by that, I mean the people who will be listening to this, you know, and and friends, I just want to let you know that you can find this podcast now on Spotify, on Apple and in Amazon. Joan, take care and have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you so much, Marcy. Talk to you later.